0: Hi, welcome to the Us and Kids podcast. I am your host, Jan Talon. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a wife, a mom, and a grandma. With my own marriage and with my clients, I have worked to help us avoid that pain of divorce and achieve the grand balance of being married forever while we parent together by using the DNA method of communication. We know this is worth the work and is so rewarding. So first of all, from the DNA method, we are going to need to define our desires or our dreams. And that means today, my dream or my desire is to be emotionally connected with my family and with other people in very kind ways. What is my N, my necessary skill? today is going to be empathy. And the A is how are we going to apply it? Empathy, yes, for anyone in our family. So let's just move a little bit farther along now and think, first of all, what do we mean by the word empathy? I know it gets kicked around an awful lot. And so let's just sort of narrow down some definition so that we know what we're talking about. It's one of the first keys in knowing what your dreams or your desires are, is to have them specific enough so that everybody can get on the same page. And empathy is the ability to feel or imagine, experience another person's emotions. So often I think of empathy when it's just affective empathy is if you are scared, then I'm scared with you. I feel you're scared. Okay. If you are super sad, I'm going to feel super sad with you. Now, sometimes in my mind, I call this sympathy. Other people will call this affective empathy. When we add on to empathy, an ability to think about another person's perspective. Sort of the, well, if um I were in your shoes, I would feel the same way. And I'm trying to imagine, if I were them, what would I feel like? I try to imagine if I were in their shoes or in your shoes, what would I feel like? What would I? experience. And then another part of empathy is wanting to help. We can feel the sympathy that is another person's emotions, and we can understand what's happening to them through sort of understanding their perspectives. And that is often supposed to then move us to wanting to help. So we're going to talk, first of all, a little bit about this affective empathy and how do we begin to understand another person's emotions. For kiddos, we want them to understand that they have feelings and emotions and we help them put labels to them. When we look at a feeling wheel, or a list of emotions or emotion faces. All of these things you can find on the internet pretty easily. We can often help our kiddos understand what they're feeling by helping them see some different faces and helping them put words to what's happening inside of them. I'm so scared would mean that I'm worried something bad is going to happen. I'm so confused might mean that I don't know what to think. I can't decide. There's too much noise. You told me to do this and this and this. I don't know which one to do. That would be confused. I feel so sad is I just want to cry. It hurts too much. I'm so sorry. Those might be things that a kiddo might be able to say, and you'll help them put the emotion word with it. They don't come with those definitions in their mind. You need to have them move around. Now, the challenge for you as a parent, even as you are talking with your kids and teaching them, is to not put your emotions on them. Your empathy has to be to see once what are they feeling. Because they might feel scared, and you might feel mad. And those are different. So in your helping your kids understand their emotions so that they can feel empathy and sympathy towards others is to really enter into their world, your kiddo's world, and build their own emotional vocabulary. It'll have some words similar to yours, but it could have words that are just theirs. And you don't feel that emotion very often, but they do. Not all the emotions that we learn as kiddos or adults necessarily stay with us. So I feel rage. Maybe once a year? Not very often. But a three-year-old might know that intensity far more than I do. I have many more emotional regulation skills within my wheelhouse than what a three-year-old does. Now, I don't want the three-year-old to continue to feel rage often, but they don't have the emotional capacity necessarily to be able to regulate the incoming emotions, the mixture of emotions that create rage and be able to tone it down, reason it out, pull forward just the ones that we need, and sort of let the other ones fade in the distance. They don't have that ability. And so they might actually feel really, really angry. It might be scary to you you're going to calm down your scared and help them sort through some of those different emotions. If I'm sad and I'm hungry and I'm too tired and I feel cornered and nobody's listening to me and I don't feel important, all of those things can mix together to feel rage. You're going to enter into their world of all of those things mixed together. And understand, for them, when they don't have the skills to pull some of those emotions down and some of those fears, they're going to move into what looks like a temper tantrum. When really it's just a collision of massive amounts of emotions. Your empathy towards that is going to be the key in helping them settle down their temper tantrums. Not your sternness is going to be your empathy in entering into their world and just speaking some to them. Their brain is disconnected when they're in a temper tantrum. As you just start to speak some of those emotions, what are you scared about? How can I help you? Okay, is this too loud for you? Okay, they're saying something about they don't want to go, they don't want to go. And they can say, maybe you would say, I know it's time to just stay home. I can feel it too. We have to go get your brother from soccer. And They're not going to understand your logic, but they're going to understand and feel a little more calmed down when you say, I don't really want to go either that doesn't mean you're not going to go. It simply means you're going to match their feelings of, I don't want to go. I don't want to be strapped in my car seat. Okay? I don't know. Maybe they get a little car sick. Maybe they're too hungry and they wanted to eat. But I'm going to enter into their world in order to help them move into a calmer space. And that's much of what this affective empathy is, is really entering into what are they feeling. So we're doing this on two parts. I'm, one, helping my kiddo learn the emotional words that might go with the feelings that they don't know what they are. And I'm going to use my empathy to enter into their world and to feel what they feel. It builds compassion. And it builds insight for me so that as I imagine what's happening for my little person, I can respond with more kindness and probably more wisdom instead of more fear or more sternness. That other part of empathy has I can reason about another person's perspective. I have to think while I'm looking at my little three-year-old who wants to throw a tantrum and is working hard to nod to it, but you can see the edges are fraying. This isn't good. Put yourself in their shoes. Understand their perspective. This is a key part of building empathy. It moves us a little bit into a place that we would call cognitive empathy. And that is not just the ability to feel someone's feelings, but the ability to understand why they feel what they feel. Now, this is true when I'm talking with my spouse and they feel really deeply about something that I think is nothing. Maybe they feel really distressed that Saturday is going to rain. And we can go... Why does it matter so much to you that Saturday is going to rain? And as we listened to their perspective, it was about, I was going to go golfing with two friends that were going to be in town I haven't seen for two years, and the rain is going to throw that off. And I'm really distressed about that because I really wanted to see them. The only thing they're coming here for really is to golf on this course. Now, if I listen to my spouse's conversation about that, now I understand his perspective. I'm not a golfer. I don't care. These are old friends of his. I'm not connected at all. But I can put myself in his shoes about wanting to reconnect with friends and trying to figure out how to do that in the middle of rain. Because golfing in rain isn't necessarily grand. And I can sympathize with him about being disappointed and frustrated. And I can understand his perspective. The other part to this cognitive empathy that we add on to the affective empathy is wanting to help. And wanting to help is being able to say, how can I help? This ability to imagine another person's perspective also then helps me identify perhaps what that person needs. So what might my husband need in terms of wanting to connect with his friends and thinking the only way to do this is golfing? And what if I said, I don't know, is the foiling place open? Could you go do that? It's a funny game that we have in our town. Could you go bowling? Maybe that would work could you just go out for dinner? Would that work? You see, I'm trying to just identify what would be helpful. And maybe I would be able to say, you know, they can come over here. I don't care if they're over here. You guys can game down in the basement. Because now I've entered their emotional world, I've entered his perspective, and now I'm looking for, are there ideas? Now, sometimes people say, no, 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 none of that's going to work. None of that's going to work. Then what the message is from them is that they want to figure it out on their own, and mostly they just want it to be emotionally matched they wanted you to understand their perspective. And from there, they feel empowered to problem solve it themselves. This is true for my husband who's trying to figure out golf. And it's also true for a little person. That when you're throwing out ideas, okay, let's say that my five-year-old is Desperately wants to go outside and kick this soccer ball. But it is 7.30 and we are trying to get PJs done. Please, to bed. It's time. We have to do this. I can be really stern about this, right? No, we're not kicking a soccer ball. No, I don't care. No, you are putting your PJs on. They're right there. Put them on. Well, my little guy, maybe it's my little girl, is kicking her soccer ball around. I can be stern. It's probably not going to be very productive. My other parenting style is going to be to say to my little one, this time I'm going to pick on my daughter, okay? And I'm going to say to my little daughter, hey, what's happening? How come you want to kick the soccer ball right now? I just do. I just do. And we're tired, okay? I'm going to enter into her world of she's tired. She's not trying to be obstinate. She's tired and she's trying to find a way to unwind. And maybe she's feeling a little angry or a little antsy and angsty inside of her. There's a little extra anxiety and so she wants to move her body and kicking a soccer ball might feel really good to her. So that's how to enter into her world. Now I have to decide the parenting place of do we go outside and kick the soccer ball and get her running and laughing so she cheers up, but then all of that running will wake her up and then it'll take longer to go to bed? Or will it take just as long if I say absolutely no to the soccer ball and we fuss and we fight about putting PJs on and I make her cry instead by being stern? That's another option. I've listened to her emotions. I've entered into that. And now I have to think with both my adult brain and with what my kiddo's perspective is. So I might be able to say, kids are wishy-washy, right? A little skittish. So not everything's going to work. But I might say, it sounds to me like you have some extra energy or that you're a little worried about something. And she might be able to respond to that with, yeah, I just want to kick my soccer ball. And I might say, could we sing some songs instead? Or do some jumping jacks while you put on your PJs? It would be messy, but it might work. Right? I might be able to say, you get your PJs on and I will race you up the stairs and down. This keeps me from going outside and then having to make the transition back into the house. I keep her in the house but it would give her some room to run out her energy. Maybe her dad's around and I could say, how about three flip-overs instead? I don't do flip-overs, but dad does. And maybe that would help her. Now listen, I'm, I'm imagining her perspective, and now I'm wanting to help her get rid of some of that anxiety. And I know, for her, sometimes singing works. I often know that running or moving her body works. And I also know that eventually I want her to settle down. I know that if she does flip-overs with her dad two or three times, which will make her giggle, that he also will probably pull her in close and hug her and rub her back. And she'll squirm at first, but she will settle down. This is my looking for ways to help her and ways to apply how I use empathy and perspective for her age giving her room to talk about her emotions, giving her room to decide how she wants to settle those out in a way that works for both of us. This is not easy work because I'm tired too. And so if my husband were to come up behind me and were to rub my shoulders, just walk by and just do a shoulder squeeze for a minute, I know what he's saying is, I see you're tired. Hang in there. I'm getting somewhere with her. He's not going to bounce into this right now and mess it up. He's going to walk by, give my shoulder a squeeze, give me a little wink and keep on going because he's my backup. He knows my perspective. And he wants to help as well. But he is now going to be empathetic in both an affective, emotional connection way and cognitively with knowing perspective and looking for ways to help. It's important not just that we as adults know these things, but that we continue over the years. This is a long-term parenting process. We continue to help our kids know all of those three steps. To just feel another person's feelings, especially for a little kid, can be really overwhelming. It's too distressing for them. Their own emotions are overwhelming. If they try adding somebody else's, they often just want to shrink away. They're too distressed by adding in somebody else's. And this is where we often can add on to this, at least within my my lifestyle, an avenue of praying. Because if I can pray, dear Jesus, my friend is really sad. Dear Jesus, I am really sad. Please help me feel calmer. Please be close to my friend and give her comfort. Help her to find her stuffy and be safe when I can pray those things and know that my Jesus hears it and he can take care of anybody, anywhere, that it can calm our hearts and our minds. Now, if you're not going to use the prayer avenue, you can also, at least mentally we know, that if you send good wishes sort of in your heart towards someone, it can calm you down. I don't think it has the same spiritual impact, but it certainly has a good physiological and psychological impact. Because absorbing other people's energy, their emotions can be very heavy. And we have to also know how to not keep them stored within us unless we move it to prayer or we move it into a meditation space it's too much to absorb otherwise. And I encourage you to do the self-care work of absorbing other people's emotions, knowing what they feel, but then smoothing it out some by understanding their perspectives and then moving it into a place of help. Either helpfulness by praying or helpfulness in action, which may be like bringing somebody cookies, which would be my MO. Or it could be helping them by saying, let's go for coffee. Or it could be helping by sending them a nice text. Or a sweet voicemail or a funny little gift thing. You hear the kindness in it. All of these things, as we demonstrate them to our kids, as we help them talk about it and think about it and learn the language, will slowly build our kids and ours' ability to emotionally regulate. Long words. Here we go. Emotional regulation is the ability to manage how much influence our emotions have in our thoughts and then in our actions. So, I often say to my clients, I don't care how big your emotions are. I care whether or not you can think clearly at the same time. So, there was a time quite a while ago where I was standing in the back of my parents' kitchen and I was stirring spaghetti noodles. I have five other siblings. They were all a little bit farther in the kitchen. I could hear them, they were all chatting and they were chatting about planning my mom's funeral. I'm not usually a stand-behind-the-scenes person, but there I am in the back, and my brother says to me, how come you're not joining in? And I said, because I have a wedding to pull off in the next week, and then a week after that I have to help my daughter move to Colorado. And I'm watching my siblings, and I'm watching my mom die. I don't know what to feel. I don't know what I am feeling. I have to stand down. So I had mountains of emotions. And I knew I had to emotionally regulate these and verbally regulate them. As in, hold it in, Jan, because you don't know what you're talking to right now. you got too much going on. My brother, kindly enough, said to me, Oh, I get it. Stay right there. Anything you want me to say? Aw, right? And I just said, no. However I have to grieve, Mom, I will do it. Because I don't know what I would add right now. And he said, gotcha. He didn't push it. He offered help. I said, thank you for the concern. That's a big story, at least in my world. But what I want you to hear is that I knew that I had to use my emotional knowledge along with my cognitive knowledge to stay empathetic to what my sibs were experiencing, but also to stay empathetic towards myself. Because I was going through a lot. It wasn't their world, it was mine. That was also marrying a child and moving a child. And so I let them move forward. It ended up being fine. It was good that I could communicate some of that to my brother. It was kind of my brother to notice. He was sort of joking with me, but when he heard my response, he very quickly moved into a very gentle space. And it calmed me down. You know, Empathy is not easy. I said this was the ABCs. It's the affect part, knowing what you're feeling, knowing and understanding what other people are feeling. It's the B part, being able to live in the moment and in that space with other people. And it's the caring part. Caring for other people and what might their needs be and what would be a reasonable way for me to help them get some of those needs met so that they can calm down knowing that they are loved and they are cared for. They are not forgotten. This matters within our families. Loneliness creates crazy things. Be sure that your children know they are not forgotten in the busyness of life, okay, in the chaos of bedtime, scrambling to get out of the house. Know and remind each other, you and your spouse, you and your kids, I see you, I know you, I feel with you. It's a deep way to experience love and to share love, and I encourage you to do that today. You and your family are worth it. Once again, thank you for joining. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. If you want to continue to learn more about how to live in this kind of love and have a very, very rewarding family and marriage experience forever and ever, then of course, subscribe to this podcast, sign up for The Printable, get on the email list, because it will help you each week. Right when you need a little boost, there it will be ready for you. All right, take care. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.